Our God in heaven, we come before you this morning, each and every one of us from our own lives and our own weeks, Lord, and, you know, for some it's a great rat race, and, and for others, you know, we're already looking ahead, trying to think about what tomorrow holds for us or the end of the week, and uh, God, I just pray, my prayer this morning is that we can come into this place and we can, maybe we can just kind of set aside all the details for just a little bit and, and just be in this room and, and have the confidence of knowing that you're here with us today. And, and maybe it's just quite possible, Lord, that there's something that you want to say to us. God, would you remind us that, that you're great enough, that uh, you're sovereign enough, that you know every single life of every person that sits here in this room, and, and yet, you know, you, you, can, you can somehow find your way, even right now, into our story and into our situation, Lord, uh, and encourage us and bring us hope and bring us peace. I pray that we would do our part today, Lord, and that we would just be willing to say, God, what is it that you want to say? Uh, and that we can just set aside all the details, Lord, and we can, we can focus on you. Uh, you are the light that shines in the darkness. And we want to praise your name. We want to learn to be a people that, that follow after you and puts our trust and our hope in you. And we pray and believe that you'll show us how to do that. Uh, and so we want you to be glorified as we sing today, as we study from your word. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, one of the things that we do when we come together as a church uh, is an act of worship as we give of offerings. And so I'm going to ask our host team to come forward today and uh, accept our offering this morning. The Bible talks about giving joyfully, and when we give, when you give, uh, you know, your gifts go to support the ministries of this church, the work that God's doing here. We want you to know that if you're a guest today, we don't want you to feel obligated to give in any way, uh, but, but please, uh, you know, feel free to do so if you feel led to. But uh, anyway, we talked about, uh, compa- oh, before I do that, we've got a, a middle school group that started, and uh, they're doing some great things during this time, and uh, so if you're in middle school and you want to head out and go be a part of that group, uh, do that, and don't bump into the usher as you're walking by them. But uh, uh, we talked about compassion last week. And we're in this series entitled Living in HD. We're looking at the book of Philippians together. And we talked about compassion. And, and Steve Davis, one of our elders, taught last week and, and just talked about what it means to enter into the struggles of someone else. That, that as Christ came into the world on our behalf and entered into our struggles, that as his, follower, as his followers, we are called to do the same, that we're called to show Christ's love. And so we invited you one way that you could show compassion was to bring food uh, this week. And uh, we're working to support Bethel Lutheran Food Pantry right here in Noblesville. They're helping to provide uh, for those in need right here in Hamilton County. And as we were talking with them, we discovered that they see somewhere around 3,000 people a year. And this year alone, they say they are seeing more people than they had ever, have, they've ever seen before. And so there's this great need. And so by you bringing your food today, this will go to help people in need. And, and the truth be known, here, here's the truth. Here's what I believe. It, it's unacceptable that anyone in Hamilton County would go, at, go without a meal. I mean, there's enough abundance of food that no one should have to go hungry. And one of the ways that we can help to support some of these needs is by giving some food. And so if you haven't left your food items yet, uh, you can leave them outside the doors as you're leaving today. If you forgot, you can bring your food next week and we'll be happy to get it to Bethel Lutheran. And we're gonna do this uh, occasionally just to help kind of support what's happening there and be able to help some of our neighbors right here in Hamilton County. Last week, Steve Davis, as he was teaching in the second service, he talked about... uh, this gift that was given to him uh, by a lady after our first service, and I think I've got mine all tangled up here, but uh, it, it was, she gave it to him as a sign of love, as a sign of, of compassion, and uh, she, she said that for her, 
This was just a symbol to be compassionate, to show Christ's love to others. Well, this kind of caught on with a few ladies in our church who got pretty excited about this, and so they made a bunch of these. Uh, They're available as well uh, in in the auditorium, and if you want to get one as you leave today for your family and just say, hey, that's going to be our reminder to show compassion, uh, to show God's love to others, feel free uh, to take one of those with you today. But this morning, we're going to talk about hope. And uh, we're going to talk about hope, and it's the type of hope that Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. When Paul speaks of hope this way, he explains that there's a hope that never disappoints. That there's a hope that will never let you down. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in that kind of hope. You know, aren't you? Because when you think about it, we, we hope for a lot of things. I mean, we, we hope for a number of different things, and inevitably hope usually leads to disappointment. You know, if you're hoping for something, usually when you get there or when you arrive, you find that you're maybe a little let down for whatever reason. We're always hoping. I mean, we're hopeful people. We hope by nature. It's in our system. But the crazy thing is that as we hope, it seems like we do always end up being a little disappointed, that things don't really turn out like we hope they would. I'll take this for example. Okay, so we've got three kids all right, Joel's five, Luke's three, and Kate's eight months, all right, and having a little girl in our house has changed everything, all right, the dynamics of our home have changed. Now, my wife, Jenny, has always been the resident female of the home, all right, but now add the little girl to the situation, and family life has just changed, and one of the things that I'll do from time to time, whether it's a good thing or not, is kind of tease and pry a little bit with my boys, especially with all these little toys laying around, all these pink toys and baby dolls and stuff. And I'll say, Joel, you know, if you'd like, I'll, I'll, we'll get you a Barbie doll, you know, if you'd like your own. Or, or to, to Luke, you know, if you, if you really like that princess outfit, you know, we could find you one of those as well. And they get all mad and upset and tackle daddy. And it might not be a good thing. I mean, I might be messing with them to the point that it's going to come back to get me in about 20 years or something. But anyway, here's how it goes. You know what Christmas morning's like, all right, for little kids. Well, it was Christmas this past year. We were at grandma's house, and it was time to open the gifts. And like any children, my little boys were very excited to open their Christmas gifts. And one of the things that we do at my, my wife's mom's house is we pass out all the gifts, so you get your collection of goods and set them in front of you. We all sit in the circle, and then we kind of open them one at a time. And so we go around the circle. Everybody watches everyone open the gift. Maybe you do your Christmas morning like that too. Well, Luke was picked to go first, all right, our three-year-old boy, and he was excited, and he had his first gift in front of him, and it was, the, the, you know, the gun had sounded, it was time to begin the opening of the gifts, and so Luke gets his gift, and I mean, he rips into it, you know, you know how kids are, I mean, he's ripping the bow off, and ripping the paper, and there's the box, and he, he rips the tape off of it, there's the tissue paper, he throws the tissue paper, and he looks, and unbeknownst to any of us, he had actually grabbed one of Kate's gifts. And so here in this box is a pink dress with a bow and leotard and socks and, you know, all these different things. And he looks at it and he just goes, no! And he grabs them and he's throwing them across the room. It was like, for Luke, the joke had officially crossed the line, all right? You know, it's one thing to tease about it, but when you start messing with Christmas morning, we've got a problem. Well, I promise I did not do it on purpose. And I had to, I don't know if my wife still believes me, but I said, I did not do it on purpose purpose. Uh, It it was just an accident. But, you know, for Luke, his hope was wrapped up into that gift, and it it led to disappointment. He was pretty disappointed what he found on the inside. And life's like that at times. You know, I mean, we get all excited, we get all hopeful about certain things, and then we end up being disappointed. I mean, think about it. You know, we we hope that we'll make the team, or, or we hope that we get invited to prom, 
or you hope that you get into the right college, or you hope to get married, you hope to get that promotion at work or to get that raise. You and your husband, you hope to have kids, and you hope that one day those kids will leave the house and go do something else. You hope for an early retirement. We hope the economy will, will turn around. We hope for good health. We hope, we hope, and we hope. And it just seems like that along the way, as we hope and we hope and we hope, we end up dealing with disappointment, disappointment, and disappointment. You know, maybe you don't make the team. Or maybe you don't get invited to prom. Or you don't get the job that you had set your sights on. Or, or, or you know, you, your marriage turns out to be more of a migraine than anything else. And you've had it with the kids, and, and you can't seem to get on top financially. And what it all boils down to is it's disappointment. And even when we do get the things that we hope for, we find that we're still disappointed. You know, let's say you do get invited to the prom, or let's say you do make the team, or you get the job of your dreams, or you marry the hottie in your life, you know, or your kids are perfect, and you have more money than you know what to do with. I mean, you've got everything that you had ever wanted and dreamed for, but doesn't provide what you hope for. And when you're really honest with yourself, it, it's kind of a letdown. And it's like something's missing. And all you know is that you're disappointed. John Cheever writes, The main emotion of the American adult who has had all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture is disappointment. And after enough disappointment, we just kind of lower expectations and we settle. And we settle for a mediocre life and we just kind of accept life for the way that it is. And I wonder if maybe in some way that might describe your life at all this morning. I mean, you, you found your way here for whatever reason. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you go here every week. Maybe you're just here for the first time, but you're like, you know, that, that's my life. Well, I hope you know that you, I, I think you've come to the right place. I, I believe that God's got a message that's pretty relevant for all of us today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians. Go to, the, go to the New Testament, go about halfway through to Philippians chapter 3. Paul is in this book here, the book of Philippians, writing about highly defined living. It's high definition living, or as we're calling it, it's living in HD. It's, it's living with purpose. It's learning to live with clarity. It's learning to live with the destination in mind. And if you've missed the previous weeks of this series uh, and you'd like to catch up with us, I want to invite you back at the Info Hub. We do have CDs of the previous weeks, or you can go to our website. And our website, you can, you can download the messages so that you can kind of follow along with this Bible study through the book of Philippians. But it's in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul addresses a hope that doesn't disappoint. And let's start there in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul's writing, to this, writing this letter. He's writing to his friends living in Philippi, but it applies to us today. This is the word of God that Paul's speaking to us. Here's what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, when I read this, when I read this verse, the word joy quickly comes to mind. And it's really the overarching theme of the book of Philippians. It's joy. Now remember that as Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi, he's writing from a prison cell. I mean, Paul is in Rome and he's in prison and we believe that he's chained to another guard and he could be executed at any moment. I mean, his destiny is so uncertain right now, but even while in prison, we continue to see this positive attitude from him. Why? Because we're going to discover that Paul had put his hope in all of the right things. 
rather than the wrong things. And so to start, Paul is going to begin by warning his readers in Philippi to not fall into this trap of putting their hope in the wrong things, because it's easy to do. And in verse 2, it contains that warning. Verse 2 says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence or no hope in the flesh. Now that's kind of a lot, so let's just unpack a little bit of it. There's this group of people in Philippi called the Judaizers. Okay, say that with me, Judaizers. All right, the Judaizers were teaching that Jesus was good, but that Jesus wasn't enough, that there's more to the story. And according to the Judaizers, if you were going to convert to Christianity, you needed to accept Jesus, but you also needed to do these other things too. And whenever you hear teaching that says it's Jesus plus something else, a red flag should go up, all right? That, that, that's a clear warning that we need to be careful. And I believe that there are many churches today with some great intentions, some great teachers, and while they might mean well, they create these rules and these regulations that are not in the Bible. And this leads to legalism, and it can lead to false teaching, but that's what's happening here in Philippi. These teachers, these Judaizers were saying, you need to accept Jesus, but what they were saying was, you need to accept Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. So if you're not circumcised, you you need to go out and you need to get it done. And so this kind of ticked Paul off. He was pretty upset because he had taught the people in Philippi one thing, and now he's getting word that this group of people have come along, and they're they're teaching all sorts of these other things. So what does he do? He resorts to name-calling. I mean, Paul just stoops to the very bottom of it all and says, you know what, I'll call names, you know, if that's what you're going to do. So what's he do? He calls these false teachers dogs, all right? And this must have been terribly offending at this time. He called them mutilators of the flesh. They believed that circumcision honored God. Paul's response was, hey, that's the past, all right? That's the past. I mean, when you do this for God now, you're doing nothing but mutilating your own flesh, your own body. Now, let's just suppose for a second there's this guy named Frank, All right, and you've got to feel for Frank a little bit because here's what happened. Frank lives in Philippi, and the Judaizers convinced him that as a man, as a grown man, he needed to have the circumcision done. So what's he do? He goes out on a Thursday, and he gets the circumcision done, and now he's at home in pain. On Friday, Paul's letter arrives, all right? Now, if Paul would have emailed it or maybe overnighted the letter or something, Frank would be at the beach with everyone else, you know, having a good time, but he's at home in pain. The point is that Paul's pretty upset. I mean, he's pretty upset by what these people are teaching, so he wants to make sure that the people in Philippi are not putting their hope in the wrong thing, so he warns them. And it's not like that Paul doesn't understand where the people in Philippi are coming from. I mean, if you examine Paul's life prior to meeting Jesus, I mean, Paul had put his hope in a number of things, in in these sorts of things, and now, by this time in his life, he knew that putting his hope in anything other than Jesus would only lead to disappointment. That it would be nothing more than a letdown. So he warns his readers, don't put your hope in these things. And so as we look over to verse four, Paul begins this outline. It's his his personal testimony. And it's here that Paul lists examples of things that he had done and he had put his hope in. And it's a pretty impressive list. But before we go any further, before we take a look at this list, let let me just stop for a second and ask you, What is it that you've put your hope in? I mean, you know your life better than anyone else. What what is it that you've put your hope in? 
I mean, maybe for you, it's you, you've put all the chips in. You've gone all in on your career. You know, I, I'm just, I'm going to invest everything that I've got into my career. And so you, you've gone all in. You've put all of your hope in your career. Or, or maybe for you, it's your marriage. Or, or maybe it's a relationship. And so you, you've gone all in. You've put all the chips in on that relationship. You're, you're banking everything on this relationship. That's where your hope is. That's where your strength is. Or maybe you've put, you know, all of your hope in having the right house or getting to the place where you can have just the right clothes or just the right cars. You know, maybe for you it's a retirement plan. You know, you're banking everything on your retirement plan and, you know, if that works out, then everything will be just fine. You know, maybe your hope is just in being at church every week. You know, you're doing your time, you're here every Sunday morning, and you think, you know, as long as I do that, I'm okay, I'm covered. Well, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, Paul launches into his list. He said, here's my list. Here's what my hope looked like. He writes, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's what he goes on to say. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, in Paul's day, this is a pretty impressive resume. I mean, this makes people look. What he wants you and I to see is that what he had put his hope in were the things that he had achieved. And here's all the things that I did. This is where I got my hope. And he kind of gives us a list, the first one. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He, He could have put his hope in the fact that he was brought up the right way. And if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis... God told his people to circumcise your sons on the eighth day as a way to show that your faith is in me. And Paul says, you know what? My parents did that. You know, we did that from the very beginning. I've covered every ritual. I've been a part of every ceremony. I'm covered. And, you know, sometimes we put our hope in these types of things. Let me give you an example. You know, maybe it's, it's baptism. You know, suppose that you were baptized as a baby. And I just say to you, good for your parents. You know, good for them that they saw to it, that they wanted to bring you up in a foundation of faith, and so you were, you were baptized as a baby. But baptism is a personal commitment. It's a, it's a personal decision that you make. And you can't put your hope in a ceremony. You have to make a decision, a, a personal decision to follow Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that the act of the, the baptism is an act of obedience, It's an outward expression of a decision that you've made in your life to trust Jesus with your life. And when you were baptized, if you weren't old enough to accept Jesus as your Savior and to make him the Lord of your life, then it was really nothing more than a ceremony. And we can get caught up into putting our hope in these types of things. We put our hope into ceremonies. And you have to come to the point where as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you make a personal decision for yourself. You make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And on Easter Sunday this year, when we get to April, we're going to do a baptism service right here in this church. And it's going to be a great time. And we want to invite those of you that have never been baptized before, that want to make a public uh, decision, that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, or maybe you're kind of going through that right now and you think that might be a decision that you want to make, I want to invite you to talk to me or to talk to one of our staff members. We'd love to sit down with you to talk with you about making that decision. So, you know, again, uh, you know, good for your parents, you know, nothing wrong with the choice that they made, but at some point it's got to become personal for you. I mean, you can't just, you can't put your hope in a ceremony. 
Paul also said, he says, hey, I was from the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Paul could have put his hope in being born into the right family. Now, the tribe of Benjamin doesn't mean a lot to us, but his readers would have been impressed by it. Uh, consider this today, if you were born into the Kennedy family, okay, that would be somewhat similar to being born into the Benjamin family. It was a name that meant something. It, it had some clout. Well, Paul's ancestors were from this tribe, and Paul could have put his hope in his heritage. He could have put his hope in his family. We do the same. You know, we, we can put our hope into our last name, unless it's Moomaw. You know, my wife, you know, she's had a hard time with that. But, uh, or our family business, or even the faith of your parents or your grandparents. We can put our hope into these kinds of things. Paul said, you know, that he could have put his hope in the fact that he had achieved all the right credentials. You know, the Bible says that Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the religious leaders of this day. And at any given time, there weren't more than 300 Pharisees in Israel. And Paul was at the very top. I mean, he was one of the bigwigs. He was one of the big dogs uh, amongst the Pharisees. He had achieved the prominence, the power, the education. He had the respect of the entire nation as a Pharisee. And, and he was gleaning from that. You know, but, and sometimes we can do that. You know, we, we put our hope in things that we've earned. We put our hope in our accomplishments, you know, the titles that we wear, the success we've achieved. You know, Paul said, I could have put my hope in the fact that, you know, uh, he had kept all the rules and regulations. Listen to what he says here in, in Philippians again, verse 6. He says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. You know, there were some 613 laws that you were expected to follow as a Jewish person, especially as a Pharisee that they were trying to keep. And Paul said, I kept every single one of them. And you know, maybe something like that happened to you. You know, someone showed you all the rules of church or showed you all of the rules of religion or all the rules of being a successful person or all the rules to having a happy family. And as you look back on them, you've done it. You can check every single one of them off textbook to the T. You followed them all. But here's what it comes down to. Here's what Paul's trying to get to get across the temptation that we have today is to put our hope in ourselves that in some way what you've accomplished and what you have achieved can bring hope or let's look at it this way we make it about what we can do for ourselves to the point that our hope hinges on what we can do do for ourselves and that leads to letdown. And when we try and make it all about us and what about we can do for you know, ourselves, it leads to nothing but letdown. And that's what Paul did. And so look now how he responds to his own list of achievements. Verse 7, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is brought through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death. And so Paul compiles this list of all of these impressive things that many people would have put their hope in, and here's his conclusion. They're rubbish, is what he says. Now, 
Rubbish is an interesting word. When I think rubbish, I think the word roughage for some reason. I think like lettuce and celery and all that kind of stuff. Well, the Greek word here for rubbish is the Greek word, it's the word skubala. All right, say skubala with me. Skubala. Okay, say it again, skubala. Okay, I'm really surprised you would say it, all right? Because it's kind of a dirty word, actually. And you said it in church, and that's a little disappointing. Uh, the translation of skubala, like in the NIV, which we're reading from, is actually pretty generous. If you look to some translations, they, they translate it as the word dung or excrement, all right? Yeah, Paul's trying to make a point here. Look at it this way. If you're living back in Paul's day, suppose a chariot goes flying by you on the road. You know you're out in the country, a little bit of redneck territory. There's a bumper sticker on the back that says, Scubala happens, all right? This is what we're dealing with here, okay? Paul, now don't get upset with me. You said the word, all right? You guys, you said it along with me here in church. But the, Paul, here's the point Paul's trying to make. I mean, it's a strong word. I mean, he's pretty upset. And Paul is trying to say that this stuff that I listed for you, that I had put my hope in. None of it matters. It's rubbish. It's scubala. Don't put your hope in these things. But there's another phrase here that I want you to catch. It's a little bit cleaner, um, but very important. Paul writes, I consider everything a loss compared. Now hold on to that word for just a second because that's that's the pivotal word. He says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, here's what Paul's trying to say, and I don't want you to miss this. That there are a number of things on Paul's list, and there are a number of achievements and accomplishments and dreams and goals of yours and mine. And in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, the dream job, the marriage, the retirement plan. There's a place for every single one of these things. In and of themselves, they're fine. They're not evil. The problem arises when these objects of affection become so valuable that they become our primary focus and motivation. And when this happens, when we put our hope in these things, we're doomed for disappointment. We're being set up for letdown. And Paul says, compared to knowing Jesus Christ, all of these things are nothing more than garbage. It's rubbish. Now, there are these things in our life that have great value and are very important to us. You know, that was the case for Paul, and that was the case for the people here in Philippi. And it's really the case for you and me. And there's nothing wrong with goals and dreams. They're all important. They motivate us. They shape us. Paul had a list. I trust that you have a list. And this past week, I was thinking a little bit about what my list would look like. And so here's what I've done this morning. I brought this box, all right? I brought this box with these these contents in it. And basically, my life as a childhood can now be summed up to this roughneck container, all right? Now, I don't know if your life is like that at all, and maybe you've got a box in the basement or a box in the attic. Mine's a little dusty. It's, uh, it's been down in the basement. And so there are items in this box that at one time or another in my life um, 
kind of gave me hope or were my motivation or they were my focus. And so I was just kind of taking a look through here. My kids have actually been getting into it. I've got, you know, my baseball cards in here or part of my baseball card collection, but a number of different things that I had put my hope in at one time or another in my life, starting with Teddy. All right. So I've got Teddy Bear. His nose is a little chewed. He kind of smells funny. But when I was a kid, so what if I didn't wear the, want to wear the choo-choo jammies, you know? Or I didn't want to eat, you know, my, 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 my fish at dinner time. And so I put my hope in Teddy Bear, you know? And as long as I could lay down at night with this guy, everything was fine, you know? All my security was found at one point or another in this Teddy Bear. Maybe uh, yours is kind of like that too. And then uh, there kind of came a point in my life when it was all about awards and accomplishments. And so I've got my letter from the middle school track team. And, you know, I've got my gold cord from the National Honor Society. I don't know why I still have that, but I do. Uh, You know, there are different medals. I've got this book, this kind of scrapbook of these, you know, blue ribbons that I won for the track meet or, oh, there's my blue ribbon for my clarinet solo. You know, Ben Krause likes to make fun of me for playing the clarinet. I don't suppose he probably has one of these for his drum solos, but uh, won the blue ribbon for Pop Goes the Weasel at the uh, St. John's, uh, uh, you know, time. And, you know, my parents didn't push me. You know, they were all about just try your hardest. But, you know, for me, there was a point in my life when it was, okay, what can I achieve? You know, what awards can I accomplish? You know, these gave me hope. They, they kind of motivated me a little bit. Or, you know, if I look in here, uh, there's my down here at the bottom, it's my basketball team picture, you know, from my freshman year in high school. I think we've got a blown up for it. Okay, now see if you can find me. Fun game here. Okay, you everybody pick out a number. Who you, there, where's Paul? Okay, let's highlight it now. Oh, there he is right there, number 24. Now you all laugh. I started, all right, on the B team, but I started and uh, weighing in at about 110 pounds. You know, you can see why I didn't have a career in basketball, but I put my hope in this team. You know, I figured if I could make this team, if I could be a part of the team, then I would fit in, that, you know, people would like me, then I'd gain friends, and, you know, I put my hope and, uh, you know, some of my uh, desire and motivation into making the basketball team. And it's easy to laugh about these things, you know. I mean, we look back on them, it's like, well, you know, those are childhood things, but at that time in life, it, it meant a lot. But I was thinking about what would be some items that would go in my box today now as an adult. You know, the things that I put my hope in or things that sometimes motivate me. And um, I was thinking about my paycheck. You know, I mean, for me in many ways, you know, uh, my, my paycheck can motivate me. I can, I can put my hope, you know, in a paycheck. And, and our society kind of teaches us to live that way, you know, that it's all about money. You know, it's about you taking care of yourself. And so we put our hope into money and we think if I could just make this much more, then I can get to the next lifestyle or I can get to the next house or the next subdivision and then everything will be fine. And we make it all about money. And the Bible talks about money being God's chief competition. You know, in and of itself, money is fine, but but when it takes first place in our life or when it takes a priority in our life, it, it becomes God's chief competition. And here's what Paul would be saying to us. He's saying, hey, Compared to Jesus Christ, it, it, it's, it's just rubbish. It deserves to go right back in the box. It's a hope that we'll never pro- provide. Or as I, as I look through this some, here some more, I, I think about maybe, maybe like for me, for you, like my college degree. You know, maybe you've put all of your hope into your education. You know, what is it that you can accomplish and achieve through knowledge? You know, and if you can explain the periodic table better than anyone else or physiology or the Civil War to someone by attaining that knowledge that you can, you can put your hope in it. I mean, you can find your confidence in knowledge. But if you don't know Jesus, what do you know? 
I mean, what Paul is saying is, hey, there's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. But if your hope is in anything but Jesus Christ, it's rubbish. And so it, it might as well just go back into the box. Or, you know, really when you think about it, like even my wedding ring. You know, I, I love my wife. I'm crazy about my wife. But believe it or not, in an unhealthy sort of way, you can put so much hope into a relationship or your marriage that you're just setting yourself up for a letdown. Um, you know, the same could be said even, even of my own family. I've got, a, I've got a picture in here of my family, and I, I love my kids like crazy. I mean, I would die for my kids. I'd give my life for my kids, but in an unhealthy way, they can become the most important thing in my life. And what Paul is saying is, hey, compared to Jesus, you know, it's nothing. It's, it's stuff that really, you know, just kind of deserves to go into the box. And, and that's a tough thing to grasp, but here's what Paul's trying to say to us. And, and he even, you know, if we even look back to, you know, the book of Luke, you know, when Jesus, he had a great crowd following him. He turned to the crowd and said, if anyone comes after me, or if anyone f- comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, these are strong words. And, and, you know, like for me with my marriage or, or even as the father of my children, you know, my faith teaches me to be a greater husband. And my faith teaches me to be a greater father. But, but what Paul's saying is, you know, compared to Jesus, when you lay things down compared to Jesus Christ, there is no value in the other. I mean, Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our life. He is the only one that we can have absolute hope in. And when Jesus says, you know, that you have to hate You know, your own father and mother, I mean, these are really strong words. Now, Jesus is not saying that you should literally hate your family. The key, again, is in the word compared. Compared to our love for Jesus, everything, everything else is really rubbish because Jesus is where our hope is. And, you know, so I've got this box of stuff, and I've got these awards and these trophies, and you know, even for us as adults, we've got, we've got trophies, two of our own, don't we? You know, for you, your car might be your trophy. The car that you drive, the one that you've worked for, it, it can become your trophy. Or your house, you know, the one with the granite countertops. I mean, you've, you've worked so hard and you've planned so long for that house, and, and for you, that house has become your trophy. We can put our hope in these things. You know, we can put our hope in a, in a computer or in a football, or, or these can all become trophies. And now, hear this. There is nothing wrong with any of these things when we keep them in perspective. But in comparison to our relationship with Jesus, we need to be able to say that really it's rubbish because our hope is in Jesus alone. And so Paul is warning you and me to not get caught up into making these things that are valuable too valuable. Verse 13, Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on the goal, toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, here's Paul's slant in these words. He's saying, I'm going to forget about my list of achievements and accomplishments, and I'm going to forget about all of my success. I'm not going to put my hope in these things of the past. My hope in looking forward to what tomorrow brings or this week or next weekend or two months from now brings, my hope is in Jesus. Verse 15, he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, 
meaning differently than I do, that too God will make clear to you. And so here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that some people are looking at his list of accomplishments, especially during this time, thinking, hey, those are pretty important things. Those are valuable. And for them, for Paul to refer to them as scubala, you know, here's what they're thinking. Now, wait a second. Now, I mean, I was following you, Paul, until you got to that point, because that's some pretty important stuff. And you know what? Maybe you're here this morning, and you see me throwing my wedding ring in the box, and like my wife, who's thinking there better be a point to this, you know, that you're, you're throwing it in the box. You know, here, here's, what Paul, here's what Paul is saying. If your hope is in anything but Jesus, you will be greatly disappointed. If your hope is in anything but Jesus Christ, you will be greatly disappointed in this life. Verse 16, Paul says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, this verse helps us to understand the difference between the way we think about hope and the way Paul thinks about hope. We usually think of hope as wishful thinking, you know, that if you, if you strain hard enough thinking about hope, you know, that things will work out the way that you want them to, or if you hope enough, it'll, it'll somehow happen. You know, it's a long shot, but we're all hoping. But when Paul speaks of hope, he is speaking of hope in Jesus as a confident assurance that he has. Because notice that he says, as in verse 16, that it has already been attained. That even while sitting in this prison cell, because what Paul has already received from Jesus Christ, he doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. He can have hope for tomorrow and next month and the years to come. Because here's the good news. When you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, when you ask for his forgiveness and you put your trust in him, you've destined yourself to a life of hope. You too, like Paul, can have this confident assurance. It's not a question of if, but as Paul describes, it's really more of a question kind of of when. You know, Jesus is coming back. You know, he's coming back for those who have put their trust in him. And Paul had hope. And because he had hope, because he knew that he had this hope, because he knew the end of the story. And we can have that hope too, because the Bible tells us how the story ends. Admiral Jim Stockdale was uh, taken as prisoner during the Vietnam War. Uh, you might remember when he ran uh, for vice president with Ross Perot. But Admiral Stockdale was the highest-ranking military officer in that war camp, and he was tortured some 20 times over an eight-year period from 1965 to 1973. Uh, just a bit of details about, about his imprisonment. He, he shared with some of that he would beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor blade so that he could not be put on videotape as an example of a prisoner who was being well-treated in this uh, Vietnam War camp. One writer noted that when he sat down with Admiral Stockdale many years later, that when Admiral Stockdale walked into the room, he walked with a limp, uh, a result of the repeated torture that he'd endured. And then an interview asked him this question. He said, through it all, how did you deal with it? 
Like, how did you get through all the pain? How did you get through all of the torture? How did you deal with all the uncertainty of your fate and, and what might come of you later in the day or tomorrow? How did you, you deal with the brutality of your captors and the pain and the wounds? And, and here's, what, here's what he said. Here was his response to that question, and I quote, the key was this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event of my life. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's being held unjustly, facing execution. But here's the best part. Paul's hope came from knowing the end of the story. And I don't know what chapter of your life is being written right now. And I don't know what the details and the circumstances are of whatever you're facing. But here is where our hope or my hope as a follower of Jesus comes from. My hope comes from knowing the end of the story. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, Paul writes these great, these beautiful words. He says, here's our hope, folks but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where my hope lies, and that's where your hope lies, that even though heaven is not yet your home, you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven and nowhere else. And that's the hope that we have. And it's a hope that will never disappoint. It will never let you down. Martin Seligman has done some extensive research in this area of hope and hopelessness. And a number of years ago, he conducted an experiment with dogs. All right, they took these dogs and they put these dogs into two separate cages. And in one cage, Dogs received these mild shocks. But within the cage, there was a button, a button that all the dogs had to do to stop the shocks was to learn to push the button. And so over time, uh, very quickly, these dogs learned that in order to stop the shocks, all they had to do was push this button. Well, now in the other cage, there was another set of, the do of dogs, and these dogs received mild shocks, but there was no button to push. Now, I don't know where the animal cruelty people were in all this, okay, that they would allow this test, but just hang with me for a second. All right, so after a few minutes of trying to figure out how to make the, the shock stop, the dogs in cage number two with no button, they came to a point where they just laid down. They just kind of accepted the circumstances for the way that they were, and they laid down in their cage, and they just endured these as a part of life. Uh, they just gave up. Well, then there was phase two of the experiment. And here's what happened in phase two. All of the dogs were taken, were put into one cage, one larger cage, and, uh, and, and with a barrier down the middle, some sort of barrier down the middle of this cage. And all the dogs had to do in order to stop the shocks was to step over the barrier. So the experiment began, phase two, all of the dogs from cage one, two, all in this one cage, the shock started. Well, all the dogs started moving around. Now, here's what they discovered. All of the dogs who had been in cage one, the one with the button, figured out to step over the barrier in order for the shocks to stop. But the dogs in cage two, all they did was lay down. The, the term here is, it's called learned hopelessness. 
all they did was just lay down and quit. They kind of just accepted it as a way of life, the way that it was all, always would be, even though hope was just one step away. And you know what? Sometimes we can be like that. You know, we experience shock after shock after shock, and we just accept it. And right now, some of you sitting here this morning, you're facing a shock in the area of relationships right now. And one after another, they've all fallen apart right in front of you. And this last time you thought it would finally be the one that would work out and it didn't, and you were optimistic. But what if there's a hope? I mean, what if for you hope was just one step away? Or maybe you're facing some shocks right now with your health. I mean, you went to the doctor, you got the results, and the word that best describes your situation is hopelessness. And it's pretty disappointing. But would you believe that there's a hope? And that for you, hope could be just one step away? Or maybe you're facing a shock right now with money or your job, and you're in a situation where even though the realities of a slumping economy have not hit you head on yet, you know that the storm is approaching. I mean, there's rumors at work that there could be layoffs, and, and there's that potential, and, and, and maybe it's no longer a rumor. I mean, maybe it's, it's finally come straight to your home, and it's true, and, and here's the temptation. Here's the temptation that you'll face or that you're facing right now. Your temptation will be to get so caught up into putting your hope in money or your qualifications or a stimulus package or even the government. But Republican or Democrat, no matter who you are or who you claim to be, if you put your hope in anything but Jesus Christ, you will be completely let down and disappointed at some point in your life. Your hope must be in Jesus. It's the only hope we can count on. It's the greatest hope that we have. And it's the hope that never disappoints. And so is your hope in Jesus? I mean, you know the answer to that question. I mean, have you ever asked for his forgiveness and and put your trust in him and ask him to come in and to be the leader of your life. And I'm pretty sure that there are probably some people here this morning that you've never made that decision before. And I just want you to know that it's one step away. You can do that this morning. You can do that right here at your seat. You can bow your head and you can close your eyes and you can say to God, God, will you forgive me? And I have no idea the relationship that I'm about to enter into, but I, I want to know it and I want to believe it. Will you forgive me? Will you come in? Will you be the leader of my life? And he'll do that for you. Or as a follower of Jesus, you know, I know that there are some here today and you're just like me. You know, you can lose focus at times and you can put your faith and your hope in, in other things. And today's a great day to be reminded that even as followers of Jesus, that our hope is in him and no one else, that our citizenship as followers of Jesus Christ is not in this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. And that's why we're gonna take communion today. And so here's how we're gonna finish out the rest of our service. We, we have this celebration that we take 
every month. It's called communion. And in just a moment, if uh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you'd like to take communion today, we're going to invite you to come forward. And we're doing it a little differently this morning. To your left, there is the bread and the juice, and uh, to your right is the bread and the juice. And uh, you can come and you can take the piece of bread and you can put it into your hand. And and the bread's a symbol. It's a symbol of, of Christ's body that was broken for each of us on the cross. The juice is a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we, when we take these elements, we're reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of the cross, and what Jesus has already done for us. And so the band here, in just a moment, they're going to lead us into a couple of song and songs. And here's what we're going to invite you to do. I'm going to pray, and then when I'm finished praying, at any point you can get up from your seat and you can walk forward to any of these, either of these tables and take the two elements and go and you can have a seat. And when you're ready, you take them. Uh, you take them in your own time whenever you're ready and you take the bread and you take the juice and, and, and let's just thank, thank God for Jesus and for his death for us. And, and, you know, maybe you're here and you're not sure if you want to take communion this morning or, or you know, you've never put your trust in Jesus. And so this thing kind of just weirds you out a little bit. Uh, here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Maybe this would be a great time for you just to reflect where you are right now with God and ask yourself this question, who am I putting my hope in? And do I really believe that that will pull through for me? And so I'm going to pray. And then you can come forward and you're ready and take your communion whenever you're ready and then we'll worship together. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this reminder this morning that our only hope, a hope that will never disappoint, a hope that will never let us down, our only hope is in Jesus and what he has already done for us. We thank you, Lord, that our citizenship is sealed in heaven. And today we eagerly await a Savior from there. We eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, as we celebrate communion, we're reminded of his death and his sacrifice and the life that he has given to every single one of us. Oh, would you remind, that of us, remind us of that this morning, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.